Hello, and welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. In today's episode, we welcome special guest Nathan Finn, and we discuss the relation of faith and culture, Christian leadership, and how the ordinary means of grace form and shape us. If you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to contact us. You can reach us at 1A, that's the number one and the letter A, at firstpresscolumbia.org. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A. I'm your host, Josh Squires. And joining me as usual is Josh Fleming. Josh, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Delighted to be here, Josh. But we have someone new. First off, we're missing a couple of people. We're, uh, we're down a Josh. We're down a Josh. Which, when you've already heard two Joshes announced and introduced, you may be thinking, how are they down a Josh? But right. we are, they, believe it or not, we're down a Josh. Were, that seems like a lot of Joshes just up front. <laughs> just yeah, on the front end. Um, but we're down in a dare, and then we're down a capper. That's right. Right. Mark is not with us. No. Josh Adair are not with us today. So. But that doesn't matter. Because. Because we have a Nathan Finn. <laughs> what we lose in Mark and Josh, we make up for. More than make up for. <laughs> Right? It's kind of like saying we're taking away a couple of hills and we have a mountain, right? So, now typically we do a little sponsor area here, but that seems a little self-focused on this particular. I mean, we've got someone else here, so we wouldn't want to say, like, if you're interested in an internship, contact me at Jay Squires. But if if you are interested in an internship. But if you're interested and you know someone who's interested. Contact. Contact. Josh at Jay Squires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First press call. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so Nathan. Welcome. Thanks for being here with us. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm surprised I got an invitation because my name is not Josh. Yeah, you, you, very few do. You should it's count yourself exclusive. honored. Yeah. You, <laughs> we may just refer to you as Josh. <laughs> if, we, if we'd call you Josh throughout, <laughs> just answer that. It's, it's just kind of our thing. You know, yeah. I've been called all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can live with Josh. Yeah. It's probably not, it's not on bad. the more offensive side. Yeah. It's, it's not the worst. Of the <laughs> things you could be called. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Okay, if people didn't know that this was kind of seat of pants at some times. <laughs> Not always. You don't think they've uh, caught on to that? Maybe. You don't Maybe think. A bit. Okay. Um, All right. I should have had a bio. You're prepared. optimistic. Yeah. yeah. For Nathan. Mm. So, North Greenville University, professor of history. Yes. That is actually not my title, but that's okay. Okay, okay. what is your title? Right, okay. So, Professor of Faith and Culture. Okay. And I direct the Institute for Transformational Leadership at North Greenville. Awesome. But I'm a historian by training. Right. So that's yes. my entry point into questions about faith and culture and leadership development. Okay. Fantastic. And you're also the SBC... Recording secretary. Recording secretary. Doesn't that sound exciting? That that's probably the most exciting title I've ever heard. <laughs> it's amazing in my life. What does that mean? <laughs> that means when Southern Baptists gather for their annual meeting, I'm the guy taking the minutes. Wow! And preparing the annual that comes afterwards that people can then reference and say, what were they fighting about on Tuesday morning? Right. Or who was it that prayed that closing prayer? Right. I'm the keeper That's of great. that sort You're, of information. Someone's got to do that. Someone has That's to right. do that. That's a lot of power. And mm. so the way I think about it is I'm the guy who gets to help tell the story of what's happening among Southern Baptists. There you go. As it's happening. 
That's great. So Nathan, why don't you give us a little bit of biographical information? What was your entry point into like Christianity, Christian academics, historian? Where's the degree from? Where did you yeah. come? Where did you teach? Give us some of that. So I am a uh, an early adult convert to okay. Christianity. I was raised in a nominally Christian family. We did go to church, yeah. but uh, we were mainline Protestants and mm. it's kind of iffy with how much gospel influence there was. Uh, so became a youth group kid in the 90s, and it was in an evangelical congregation, so began hearing and wrestling with kind of the exclusive truth claims of the gospel. Came to faith in Christ a couple of weeks after I graduated from high school. Wow. And uh, actually came to faith in Christ on the campus of North Greenville University at church camp, wow. having no idea that I would end up, you know, 25 years later being Serving there. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. So uh, came to faith in Christ there. Uh, very soon thereafter felt what I would just call a general call to ministry. And like every 18 or 19-year-old, I thought that meant youth ministry. And uh, over time, it evolved into a broadly pastoral calling that has been mostly directed to Christian higher education. So became very interested in uh, church history and systematic theology, uh, largely because I was a Southern Baptist college student in a college that was going through a transition from being more Uh, theologically center-left to being more theologically conservative. And as I was wrestling with, well, where do I shake out on this? What do I believe about the Scriptures? What do I believe about even what's happened recently in the history of my ecclesial tradition that pushed me towards church history and systematic theology? And so for most of my career, uh, what I have done is teach church history, a little bit of theology, a little bit of spiritual formation in a couple of Southern Baptist seminaries, a couple of SBC-related universities, have also done some pastoral ministry along the way, but never full-time. Right now, I'm part-time teaching pastor at Taylor's First Baptist Church in Taylor's, South Carolina, but really primarily have tried to say, uh, how can we bring the wisdom of what I call lowercase t theology? So don't think the formal discipline of systematic theology, though it certainly includes that. Right. But yeah. Theological thinking, yeah. mm-hmm. how do we bring that to bear on all the stuff? whether it's personal godliness, whether it's church health, whether it's marriage and family, whether it's faith and culture, uh, very much see myself as a theologically-minded generalist. Mm -hmm. And so love being in a Christian university setting where there's a little bit more freedom not to be pigeonholed in one discipline and be involved in all those different types of conversations. Yeah, that's so fantastic. And we've had you here, I think this is the third year in a row that we've had you here. You have a connection with one of our former interns who now runs the South Carolina Study Center, Richard Mounts. Um, so I think he's the one who brought you down. And every time that you've come down, our interns have thoroughly enjoyed every time you've been here with us, feel ourselves well-educated. Uh, so thank you for all the time that you've given us, including on this podcast. So I love coming, but I have a confession. Okay. Uh, for those who are listening, it's Reformation Day. It is. And, and I'm a Baptist visiting a Presbyterian church, and so I'm going to have to ask for diplomatic immunity mm. because I know that sometimes y'all get excited and drown people like us, and especially with Reformation Day, I just want to well. be really sure that I make it out of here. So so I've been promised safe conduct. Mm. Yeah. Does I, it go both ways? Yeah. Do we need to do we need to have an offline discussion here? Are we'll we, we'll talk and, and I mean, kind of deliberate. What power do out. we have here? Is what I want. Well, do. you know, we need to form a committee. Oh, that's true. To talk about that, we are presbyterians. Since we are presbyterians, mm. you're probably in no real danger this day. We'll get okay. we'll get back to you in a few months. I understand. You may get papers. I understand, <laughs> right. but I think you're okay for this day. I understand. Oh, man. Yeah. 
Thank you for being here on Refaween. Absolutely. Right? That's yeah. right. Appreciate that. Okay. So since you are a historian and you're interested in culture, you're this you are this generalist that gets to see things, and I think in a way that many people don't. Historians, because of their nature, get to see more the grand scope of things. How have current issues also raised themselves in previous generations? And then how did previous generations work through that? This podcast being a theological podcast that really thinks towards a counseling angle, how do we apply this day-to-day in our lives? I was wondering if maybe you could help us think through, as we find ourselves in this odd cultural moment, at least what feels odd to many people, I think, and maybe myopically so, maybe just because we're thinking in the past 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, it seems like we find ourselves in a place where we're much more divided, seems like a world that feels less safe and more scary. And so I'm wondering from a historian's perspective, how do you look at a moment like this? And is there any lessons to learn about what we can expect or, or how we navigate now? So I, I love that question. So you need to know historians are weirdos, okay? <laughs> so, so I'm a weirdo. Right. I absolutely agree that that's the way things seem, and I think that's largely the way things are. Yeah. I think we are really divided, and it is really scary. But as a historian, I'm always asking two questions. Yeah. What are the ideas behind the sound bites? Because we're driven in a soundbite or driven by sound bites in our world, yeah. and uh, and there's all these different ideas that are kind of the substructure of the sound bites, even if the person giving the sound bite doesn't realize right. that that's kind of like the air they're breathing, right, or right. The, the water they're swimming in. So I'm always asking that question. I'm always asking how are the ideas shaped by cultural factors, at least as much as they're shaping cultural factors. Uh, because even though there's a sense in which ideas have consequences, there's also a sense in which uh, we don't have as much freedom of our ideas as we think we do. You know, we inherit certain cultural artifacts around us, and, and it affects the way that we talk about things. And so we may think that uh, you know we're totally motivated by these big ideas, when in fact we sound just like everybody else in our culture. We just talk about it in ideasy sort of ways. Uh, so those are the sort of questions that I'm always asking. So as a historian, when I'm on social media, after I regret getting on social media... <laughs> By the or, way, you are a great social media follow. <laughs> you are a great follow. I tried to be on social media for like two weeks, and by the time I got to the end of the second week, I was like taking pictures of broccoli. And my, <laughs> my comment was just, broccoli? Broccoli. Right. And then yeah. like, if I wanted to spice it up, there'd be a question mark at the end. Ooh. Right. Broccoli. Broccoli. Maybe. Right. But you that. are a great social media follow. Well, what is the uh, Twitter that, handle there? Yeah, or I, X handle. Or, I don't yeah. know. What oh, we, I'm by so the time sorry. you hear this, it might be something different. Yeah, but. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just Nathan A. Finn. There we go. Okay. But uh, I mean, see, but it's because I struggle with snarkiness. So if I was closer <laughs> to the Lord, I would not be a good social <laughs> media follower. So in all seriousness, when, when I'm on social media or whenever I'm watching cable news or whenever I'm trying not to eavesdrop, but I really am eavesdropping on what people are discussing at the other table in the coffee shop or whatever. Again, these are the questions I'm asking. What are the ideas behind the sound bites and the one-liners? And then how is culture shaping those ideas? And I think that historians are uniquely placed to give some context to the various debates that we're having. Now, the danger there is people don't like context when they're middle, when they're in the middle of debates. Right. right. So there are people on social media who say things like, quit bothering us with all of that nuance. This is a matter of right and wrong. Yeah. 
And sometimes it's also very clearly a matter of right and wrong, but it, we need more nuance yeah, right. <laughs> and we need more context. So not just historians. There's a sense in which this is true of sociologists. There's a sense in which this is true of political scientists. But uh, those of us who are engaged in the humanities and the social sciences see things that sometimes other people don't see. And whenever we're followers of Christ who are trying to think biblically and theologically, we see things and we're assessing that from the perspective of a biblical worldview that's driven by belief in Holy Scripture that's the true story of the whole world and helps us to make sense of all the stuff. So that's the posture I'm trying to come at whenever I'm thinking about all these different debates and and the fact that we are in a divided world and parents don't let their kids ride their bike in the neighborhood anymore and we don't know who we can trust and who we can't trust on cable news or fill in the blank. Yeah, anywhere really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so can you think through or, or bring to mind times as, as a historian like yeah there's been more division and more antagonism um in these sections and how did it how did it ultimately work itself out in history so we're looking for resolution <laughs> I, I guess i'm just looking for like i don't know if because it seems different in my mind if there's a corollary if there's a historically this is not new nothing new under the sun and but it feels different for us how did they make it through previously previous generations where did they find themselves did they find themselves in a place where the divisions just grew and grew and grew and grew until there was something like war that ultimately they had to make it through was there some sort of big cultural uh, issue that brought back some sense of unity to to people like how do you is there a theological thing that that helps people to once again be able to have more of a um, moderate sense of it's it's okay for you to believe something different on a secondary or th- tertiary because those things do exist theological <laughs> issue <laughs> so let me do my best to, uh, to take a stab at this. Sure. All the issues eventually resolve, right? And yeah. sometimes they resolve in ways that are very discernible. The Civil War ended in April 16, 1865. Right. Um, other times they resolve themselves gradually over a significant amount of time, and it's hard to know when it's fully resolved, if it's fully resolved. Right. Uh, post-Civil War race relations in the South, right? Right. So there's a sense in which sometimes there's tension and you can say, all right, there's real progress. And other times you're saying, uh, how much does the needle move and when can we tell the needle is moved? So as Christians try to navigate those things, whether it's differences of opinion about the big thing that's dominating the news, the Civil War analogy, or kind of the ongoing struggle simmering under the surface, uh, the analogy of race relations after the Civil War and, and into the 20th century. To me, part of what, so I'm an evangelical, and part of what I think evangelicalism brings to the table, especially evangelicals in traditions like Presbyterianism and the Baptist tradition that take the local church seriously, you know, not all evangelicals do. But, uh, but our ecclesial traditions do. There's this dynamic between the ordinary means of grace and the longing for revival. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. just living in the midst of that dynamic 
helps us to navigate these questions. So the ordinary means of grace, we recognize that there's a sense in which we're going to hold different opinions even than other brothers and sisters in Christ who, who love the Lord and have a high view of scriptures and they believe the gospel, but we're gathering together under the authority of the word. Mm-hmm. We are worshiping God in a weekly rhythm. We're tabling to some degree our preferences and we're coming together and we're hearing the word and we are uh, receiving the Lord's Supper and we are uh, baptizing whatever that means. We're <laughs> baptizing people when appropriate. And, uh, and, and, and in all of that, it creates a rhythm to the Christian life that helps us play the long game. But we also recognize that sometimes we need the Lord to dramatically intervene and to change people's hearts in a way that it happens quickly and obviously, and we all see it. And so I take that sort of dynamic where we believe in both the ordinary means of grace and what we might call just the weekly faithfulness of of meaningful church membership and tie that to this often healthy evangelical longing for revival, spiritual awakening, renewal, reformation, you know, pick your terminology. And when we shift that over to the cultural questions, I think we're always trying to do two two things. We're trying to say, how do we just navigate this stuff that's going on? Like, Right now, for the foreseeable future, it's going to happen no matter what. We can't just go change it. So what does it mean to live faithfully in the midst of that while also prayerfully and at times prayerfully and strategically with dirty hands and dirty fingernails and callous knees try to be the means or among the means that the Lord is using to make it better? And it's a both-and sort of thing. We've got to know how to be ourselves with our people week by week and not freak out and and lose our minds and despair while at the same time also recognizing that some of these things are not going to change unless the Lord dramatically intervenes and and both changes the hearts of large numbers of people and strategic people in strategic seats who make particular decisions. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Um, you are obviously interested in leadership because you help with this leadership initiative. I assume these are Christians coming to this particular leadership group. Is that is that correct? Is, it's by and large Christians? At North Greenville? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, nearly all of our students that are in my orbit are at least professing Christians. Not all of our students are Christians. But if they're in my orbit, they at least think they're a Christian, and most right. of the time they really are. Okay. So I'm just wondering, like, in on the leadership side, do you find that leaders are also finding the same struggle in their organizations, the sort of inability to get people off of opposite sides and to unify? And if so, how do you, we, we all have leadership um, in our lives. If it's in our homes, if it's the ability just to be a winsome witness to the person next to us in a classroom, in a, in a cubicle, whatever it is, right? Are people finding this at that level? And if so, How are they finding to navigate this issue? Well, they are fighting it at that level. Uh, So let me just speak especially to church and nonprofit parachurch type leaders because the majority of the people that I work with, that's the world they're in or they're they're that rare business leader who thinks like they're in ministry and then that's similar values are motivating the way that they approach their business. They're struggling with two or three things at the same time. They're struggling, number one, with fear of where culture 
or cultural turmoil that's going to take them and how that's going to impact whatever group they're leading. They're struggling, number two, with how do they manage differences of opinion among the people that they're leading. Uh, and, and, you know, so, and this comes in two different forms. I mean, sometimes it's radically different opinions, and you've got totally different worldviews in an organization. Other times there may be a lot of worldview overlap, but they're fighting over the application, and that can be just as fierce right. as the people with <clears throat> yeah. totally different worldviews uh, that are a part of movement. And so that's another thing that they're managing. And then they're also just managing the thing that leaders always manage with, what does it look like for me to take care of myself as a leader spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically, while I'm balancing all this stuff. And so when I'm talking to leaders, uh, there's a lot of folks who behind closed doors, they're talking about burnout. They're talking about giving up. They're talking about needing help. Some of them are worried that if they say they need, they need help, the people they're leading won't appreciate that and, uh, and won't... Uh, continue to follow their leadership. But yeah, there's so much leadership angst that's out there right now. And, uh, and as leaders, we, you know, there's a sense in which we have to be on the front lines and be aware of the things that are happening, but we can't freak out. Other folks are watching us. You know, Mark Sayers has this great book that came out a couple of years ago, A Non-Anxious Leadership. And, uh, and, and he talks about how uh, you know, we have to both discern the times and know what's going on and also as much as possible uh, embody a steadiness and project a steadiness because if we're freaking out, the people who are looking to us are freaking out. Right, right. right. Yeah. So interesting. Often in counseling, uh, when it's a parent or a grandparent or somebody who is supporting someone going through something difficult, the answer is, okay, strength outward because you're supporting someone but you also need your support structures that are sitting there supporting you where you can be vulnerable. It doesn't have to be that your 70 closest friends in your Sunday school class. Probably going to freak them out if you're completely vulnerable with your 70 <laughs> member Sunday school class. <laughs> but you need at least two or three probably that, that are speaking into you, someone who's maybe ahead of you where you are in your station in life, somebody who's a peer with you, someone who's known you a lot longer in your life that can speak into your life. Um, and that sort of leadership fear that eats up, I think, not only leaders, but also eats up pastors a lot of times. They're so afraid of being known in their weakness for fear that it might disqualify them, which isn't that a fear of all of ours, like, and it speaks to how much do we trust the genuine grace of the gospel, right? It is sufficient for me. So, so let's apply that to pastors and, and kind of what's happening in our culture. As I'm talking, I can think of pastors' names and faces who are struggling with what do I say about politics? What do I say about race? What do I say about gender? What do I say about war? What do I say about Israel? What do I say about, you know, the list goes on and on. These are the things that are swirling around us, and the people whom those pastors are shepherding want those men to be able to speak wisdom into that. And sometimes those men have wisdom to speak into that. Sometimes they don't, and they're saying, well, if I speak into that, what if they disagree with my wisdom? Mm -hmm. yeah. Or 
what if I'm wrong? Right. What if I don't know what I don't know? And they know that I don't know enough about that to speak to it wisely. And so there's all this turmoil about how to navigate these issues. And so it leads to, uh, on the one hand, pastors who maybe don't say as much as they should, right. and, and pa- or pastors, on the other hand, who become caught up in some sort of uh, kind of tribal knee-jerk response to something, and, and, and that becomes the thing that their ministry is identified with. Right, yes. and, and, and the problem is you can have a seemingly healthy congregation never saying anything about the outside world or talking all the time about the outside world depending upon the metrics that are being used. Right. But can it really be a flourishing congregation long-term if they feel like the gospel and the scriptures have nothing to bear on these issues, or they think the Bible is really all about how to turn America back to Jesus, or how to bring about racial reconciliation, right. or, or how to have a healthy view of sexuality, or whatever the case might be. Josh, we're running out of time here. I just want to—I feel like I've taken up all the questions. No, no, that's good. Uh, No worries. I—I really appreciate what you said a moment ago about um, just ordinary means grace. I think particularly about what you—the thoughts on worship and what we gather to do um, on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and how that shapes and forms us uh, as individual individual believers, but as communities of believers as well. But also, so that's that inward focus. But also, even just maybe there's an outward almost like a, a quiet, um, not a protest, that's not the right word, but like a, a, a testimony, a, a bearing witness mm-hmm. to who we are, to the world around us. Like gathering for Sunday worship is, I feel like, a very, very countercultural thing. Today. I think so. And the fact that there's still these crazy people who do that every Sunday morning, get in their car, drive it out of their neighborhood, or, wherever, or maybe in their neighborhood, go and go and gather together and worship God. That's a, it's a very simple thing in a sense but the transformation it brings to you and then the way it bears witness to the world around you, it, it can, it, it's a very simple thing, but it's a very powerful thing. You know, there are times in America's history where there's so much uh, Christian worldview that's floating in the air, if mm-hmm. you will, that the great struggle is cultural Christianity, right? Yeah. right? And uh, and if 40% of the population is worshiping on any given Sunday, how are we that different than our non-Christian friends who happen to be religious non-Christian friends? Yeah. That is not our problem in the we're year of our Lord, anymore. 2023. Yeah. No. I'm not saying there's not some communities, and guys, we're here in the South. We're, there are yeah. some communities in the South that are like that. Yeah. But we're in a period where far from the temptation being cultural Christianity, the temptation is... Uh, or not the temptation, the challenge is how do we be a counterculture for the sake of authentic human flourishing right. yeah. and say, we are not going to freak out. We will be here this Lord's Day, yeah. just like we were on the last Lord's Day. And maybe something happened that was so significant, that's going to be a part of our pastoral prayer. Maybe even every once in a while, we're going to address it directly with a sermon. But we're not going to allow what we do on Sundays to be driven by what's happening around us. We will continue to give witness week by week to the reality that Jesus is king. And if yep. Jesus yeah. is king, that changes everything. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It also it brings together different people, right? That activity of worshiping at the throne of grace 
No matter even if you look at churches, which tend to be divided by race, generally, there are some out there that are really trying to, to overcome that and make a sort of mixed thing in their worship, but oftentimes by self-selection, it's divided by race, okay? And then it becomes divided by socioeconomic class. But you keep dividing and you keep dividing and you keep dividing, and I think what social media has allowed us to do is to divide down to a very granular level. So now it's not only like you're, you're not just my person in my socioeconomic class, in my setting, but you don't think what I think about this food. Yeah. And so now you're out. I can't be friends with someone like that, right? But we're forcing people to be in classes, pews, and to worship at the throne of grace with someone who doesn't think exactly like you. And, and I think that there's a countercultural um, movement in the heart of people because worship can't help but knit your hearts together yeah, mm. in a way that nothing else can. There's an intimacy in worship. And when your hearts are knit together with someone who's not like you at the, at the foot of the throne of grace, all of a sudden I think it bleeds out into the rest of your life. So, so let me make an observation about a trend that, uh, that we're seeing among North American evangelicals, uh, especially evangelicals who are weary of cultural infighting. Uh, if you look at what's happening with churches, they're gravitating in one of two directions. They're gravitating either to high church traditions or they're gravitating to Pentecostal charismatic traditions. As different as those traditions are, what they both have in common is they're driven by this common sense of worship, mm. whether it's a more liturgical form of worship or whether it's this kind of Holy Spirit-led, whatever-happens form of worship. But, but they're there because they find a haven in saying liturgy covers a multitude of differences of opinions or spirit-filled worship covers a multitude of differences of opinion. And in traditions like ours that aren't capital L liturgical, and, uh, and we want to be spirit-led, but not like that, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, what, yeah. What, what is, how, do, how do we navigate that? Because we take doctrine seriously, and we care about evangelism and missions, and yeah. Yeah. worship brings us together. Yeah, Worship brings us together. Man, this has been a fun conversation. We're already up at 30 minutes in this podcast. That's right. right. It seems like it's been five. Uh, Nathan, if people want to get more information from you, where might they find you? So you can follow me on social media, as we (laughs) mentioned. Uh, I'm still there right now. Uh, on the artist formerly known as Twitter uh, (laughs) under under Nathan A. Finn. Um, I do occasionally write or edit nerdy books. Most people don't read those, so probably the best place to find where I'm thinking is I write periodically for World Opinions, uh, write periodically for Gospel Coalition. Uh, If you're so inclined, I write periodically for Baptist Press. Those are the sorts of places where I'm out there. Again, I'm more interested in applying scholarly thinking to the health of the church and the flourishing of the culture than I am uh, writing books that are only going to be read by people in the guild. Other people are better at that. Yeah, mm-hmm. No, I, that's, I think, my bent as well. Um, secondly, are there any book recommendations coming out of this conversation where if somebody wanted more on some of this, hey, check these authors or so titles? So I would recommend two books and a podcast, okay. and they're related to each other. So both of these books have come out in the last couple of years. Uh, Glenn Scrivener's The Air We Breathe, mm-hmm 
how we all come to believe how we all came to believe in freedom, kindness, progress, and equality. And then Andrew Wilson's Remaking the World, How 1776 Created the Post-Christian West. Hmm. Both of them are looking at sort of big ideas history, and they're engaging with people like the philosopher Charles Taylor, Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, but the historian Tom (laughs) Holland. And and they're looking at how uh, various ways of Christian thinking underlie so much of our culture, even among people who reject Christianity, and saying what sort of uh, apologetic and evangelistic and just neighbor love opportunities exist because of that. And the two of them have recently teamed up uh, under the banner of the Gospel Coalition with a podcast called Post-Christian, Hmm, where they're okay. uh, where they're addressing these issues again. They wrote complimentary books. Yeah. Uh, I've listened to the first two episodes. It's great, and they're just saying uh, why is the West and especially the English speaking West like it is? Where does the shadow of Christianity continue to fall? And what gospel opportunities are there within the context of that shadow? And as a bonus, uh, they both have accents, and so oh, uh, you know, love, I mean, you know, we Glenn, love a good accent Glenn's here. from Australia, and, uh, and and Andrew is in the UK. And so oh. they just they speak English. I mean, it's not the right way because they're not from the American <laughs> South, but yeah, it's yeah. a good way to speak right. English. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, well worth listening to. I wonder if Calvin could like edit this and add accents. <laughs> I'm sure he can. To us, yeah, like if Calvin were listening, you could do that. I think that would really <laughs> increase listening. We, we love a good accent here. Yeah, yeah. love First a good press accent here. Yeah. First press. <laughs> uh, where might people find more information about North Greenville if they wanted more information there? The very best place is www.ngu.edu and. Uh, you can find everything on our website. Wonderful. Thank Fantastic. you so much, Nathan, yeah. for this has your been time. Really fun. This hey, is it's good. a pleasure yeah. to be Enjoyed here. It. Yeah. It and great. hey, am I an honorary Josh now? I think so. I think we'll, I mean, let's confer, but we'll get back to you. We'll, well, we'll yeah, set up a committee. probably a second study committee on this. We'll have a committee. Okay. But temporarily, okay. I'm going to go ahead. And I like it. Go let's ahead do and it. say yeah. yes. So, yes. so if that happens, I need a kilt and a coat of arms. <laughs> right. Because hashtag Presbyterian. Yes. There you go. You are absolutely right. We will I get like that it. Done. We will get that done. <laughs> for Josh Fleming and Nathan Finn, I'm Josh Guires. Thanks for listening to 1A. We'll see you next time. And until then, God bless. <laughs> <laughs>